Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Come on, that was awful. I was expecting like a big heartland, like we're great. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? Okay, so here's the rule. There's no complaining about the heat. And you go, well, what do you mean? I just moved from Dallas, Texas to Cincinnati, and uh, we've had one or two days of 100, 102, you know, a nice, cool, brisk um, summer. Um, but last year, we had, 50, I think, 56 days of 110-plus temperatures with no rain. And so this is kind of like a nice, just cool fall afternoon. And uh, so I'm enjoying this. This is great. I'm just kidding. And everyone goes, well, it's because it's humid here. And I said, if you stick your head in a 110-degree oven, it's nice and dry, but I promise you eventually it will kill you. So, um, but anyway, I am so excited to be back in Heartland, and I'm excited about this week coming up to hang out with the students of Heartland as we go to camp, and, and I need you to pray for me. I'm kind of getting to that age where, you know, like I know camp is coming up and I'm excited, but the idea of getting thrown off anything at this point in my life is not as exciting as it was 15 years ago. Um, but we are going to have a great time. And I just ask you to continue to pray for your students. I believe God's going to do some big things in the lives of the students at Heartland this week. And so just continue to pray for them. And most of all, pray for me. I know I'm going to need it. And uh, it is going to be good. Well, I love this church. I love Heartland. And I know when the guest speakers come, they're supposed to say that, right? They're supposed to say, I love Heartland and I love Pastor Darren, right? And, um, but I love Heartland and I love Pastor Darren. And uh, I genuinely do. I've been around the country and literally around so many places in the world. And let me tell you why I love your church. Heartland is a place that is not just impacting its city, but it's really transforming lives and churches literally around the country. And your pastor has a heart for people. I've, he's one of the guys that you meet, you know this. He loves people. He loves his church. But he understands the kingdom process that it's not just about Heartland, that we have to begin to transform lives and cities around the country. And he is at the forefront. And Heartland is at the forefront of helping churches get planted and developing the next generation. And so I know every week you're, you're right in the middle of it and you go, man, it's just, a, well, here's what we're doing here. But I'm telling you as someone who's been around the country and understands what's happening here from an outside perspective, you, your church, and your pastor are making a huge difference around the world. And I was just tell you, you should be excited to be a part of what God is doing here in Heartland. Are you excited? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, and we'll get there in just a, a moment. But um, I want to talk to you today about plan A. Plan A. Because here's the reality. There is no plan B. Everyone say, I am plan A. There is no plan B. From the foundations of the earth, God saw you as his church. And I don't mean Heartland, the building. I'm talking about you individually. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. And as scary as that sounds, it shows you how the creator of the universe, how much he believes in you and trusts you and loves you. Isn't it amazing that even on our deepest, darkest day, when we looked in the mirror and didn't even love ourselves, God loved you? That God saw something so great inside of you 
that he said, that is the one that I choose to be my voice, to be my representative. Even when you couldn't love yourself, God loved you so much that he chose you to be his tool to change the world. And as exciting as it is, that's got to be scary in the same moment. And I wonder what would happen if all of us, not just corporately, but individually, began to live the life of greatness that God intended us to live. What if we began to see ourselves as Jesus saw us? How would we live our lives differently? There's this moment in Luke when Jesus is at the end of his life here on earth. And many of you may know the story. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I want you to go and I want you to get me a donkey. And, and when they say, what do you need the donkey for? Just tell them the Lord needs it. And so they go and, and, and they get this donkey and they place Jesus on it. And he begins to ride into town. He's riding into Jerusalem and it's his, his, his farewell tour, really. This is the moment where Jesus is about to go to the cross. And in Luke 19, 41, here's what it says. It says, and when he drew near, he saw the city, meaning Jerusalem. And he wept over it, saying, how that you, even you, had known this day the, the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone unturned because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let me kind of just put some context to what's happening here. There's this moment where Jesus is, is on, on the donkey and he's, he's riding into Jerusalem and there would be a road that he would have taken. And, and as he was coming around the Mount of Olives, there would have been a, a big blockade in front of him. But as he would turn the corner, as he turns the corner, there would be Jerusalem, his city. And when Jesus saw his city, he begins to weep. He begins to cry for the brokenness and the hurting, the people that are lost and far from God, the people that feel like they have no hope and no love and no acceptance. Jesus' heart begins to break for them. And it's not often in Scripture that we read that Jesus begins to weep. But as he sees his city one last time, as he's entering into it, it begins to break his heart. You know, there's a, a great quote by Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, until a man finds something worth dying for, he's unfit to live. In that moment, Jesus found something worth dying for. And it was his reason to live. Jesus found something worth dying for. And the thing that he found worth dying for was you and, and you and, and you when he saw his city, he said they would be worth dying for. I love them and their brokenness and their hurt and their pain and the tragedy of their life. They are worth dying for. And so Jesus lives and dies so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And he goes to the cross and we know the story. Jesus it, it dies and he's raised from the dead and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And, and then he lays out plan a, or just the plan. And the plan would be that you and I would be his church. 
that we would establish community of faith where we would encourage one another and love one another and serve one another, that we would find our enemy and we would encourage them, that we would find those who persecute us and we would bless them. We would find those who are hurt and, and, and living in a place of depravity and say, that is the reason that I live, that they may have hope and life and joy and peace. See, Jesus came up with this concept that is not really that, that intriguing today for most of us. He went and he found this place where there were prostitutes and he said, I'll call you my daughter. You're welcome in my family. And he found a thief and a tax collector and he said, I, I choose you to be my mouthpiece to the world. I choose you. You have, a, you have a place in relationship with me that is bigger than you. He, he, he finds a woman who is, who is bleeding with the issue of blood and he says, daughter, you're welcome into my family. And then he says to us, I want you to carry on everything that I've done here. I want you to build my church. What if we begin to live the life that God called us to live? What if we begin to see our city in the way that Jesus began to see our city? And even a step further, what if we begin to see ourselves in the city the way Jesus sees us in the city? What if we began to live that life? How different would our world be? I wonder, for many of us, when we, we drive through town and we see the city of Indianapolis, does it break our heart? Or are we so consumed with what life has dealt us that we don't understand that we are life to others? See, Jesus loves this city. Jesus loves this city. He loves your neighbor. He loves the people we work with. He loves the people that, that are in our lives, even when we don't love them. I mean, let's be honest this morning. Is that okay? I love the whole part when it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm down with that part because I want to love God. He just threw that other part in there that just so frustrates me sometimes. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, come on, God. Why am I neighbor? Have you met them? Do you understand who I live next to? I mean, some of you are thinking, do you understand who I'm sitting next to? And um, I'm teasing. But what happens is uh, it's easy to love God sometimes, but they've ever found it's almost impossible at times to love people. But God has this profound love for his neighbor and, 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 and the people in our, in his, in, that he comes in contact with. And he says, that is your purpose. I wonder when's the last time your city has broke your heart. I wonder when the last time you turned on the news and you heard the bad news, instead of getting angry, it called you to action. Because Jesus turns on the news 2,000 years ago and he sees the brokenness and the, the depravity of humanity. And he doesn't get mad, he gets into action. And he comes and he lives and he serves and he is so that he could bring hope to humanity. And then he chooses us as his plan A. A few years ago, I was living in Dallas, Texas, and, and uh, was living what everyone would think would be a great life. We were pastoring our church. We, we were executive pastor of a church. Of, uh, a church was running over 4,000 people. We were, we were part of the organization that was running the largest charter school, uh, public school in the state of Texas. We had 4,500 kids in our public school at our church. I was coaching 20-something um, 
youth pa- or children or um, church planners. I was speaking around the country to things. Life was going good, right? I felt like I was doing some good stuff. And one day I get a call um, from some leaders in Ohio, and they said, "Hey, would you come to Ohio?" And I grew up there. I yes, I'll come to Ohio. You know, it's Kings Island. Of course, I'll come there. You know, skyline, chili, La Rosa's Pete. I'm there, right? Any way I can get out of the beef-eating state of Texas when 115 degrees, I'm there. And, um, and I, I'll never forget, it was a last-minute flight, and it was one of those, those, uh, those trips that I could squeeze into my schedule. And I, I flew into to Cincinnati, or actually Kentucky. It's one of those things I haven't figured out in life. You fly to Cincinnati, but you're in another state. And, um, and it had been years since I had been back. My brothers and my family lived there, but I hadn't been back in years. And... and uh, I'll never forget, I was in my, my rental car and I was driving through Kentucky and, and uh, I was coming down around the bend and there's a place called the Cut in the Hill and if you've never been there, it's the 75 comes right through Cincinnati and then the Kentucky and, or Kentucky and the Cincinnati and as you come around the bend there, there's a big cut in the mountain where the road goes through and then when you come on the other side, there's the beautiful skyline of Cincinnati and... Um, and I'll never forget, I was driving by myself, and I just got off the plane. I was tired, and I, I looked up, and there was the city that I grew up in. It hadn't been back in 18 years. And there was this moment that happens that God awakens my heart, and tears begin to flow down my face. And I find this moment that God's calling me to this city when everything is going good. And, and like every impulsive husband, I pick up the phone, and I call my wife, and I go, Babe, I've got some exciting news to share with you. I said, and she was the family life pastor at our church, so it wasn't like she wasn't doing anything on the, on the side, you know. And I said, babe, I feel like God is calling us to Cincinnati. That's kind of what it sounded like. <laughs> and she said, Cincinnati, I mean, it would be like, I, I could have said Nebraska. She was born and raised in Florida. We lived in North Carolina for a bit, and now we're living in warm Dallas. And I said, babe, we're going to Ohio. Close your eyes, wives. Think about that call. Ohio, right? Wasn't like New York, LA, Paris, Ohio. She said, Are you sure? I said, I think. And within a few months, we had sold our home. We packed up everything we had. We got in a trailer and we moved across the country. No money, no resources, no plan, but to plan a church. I mean, we had ideas. And there we were, right in the middle of a city that God called us to. And I would love to say it wasn't scary and it wasn't fearful, but it was absolutely terrifying. When you're every day going, God, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to provide for my family? What am I going to do in the city? I haven't been back here in 18 years. I was there two days. And my brother, who didn't have any relationship with Jesus, has an aneurysm. He has three aneurysms in his brain. And they take him into emergency surgery. And they say uh, to the family, they said, hey, there's a good chance your brother's not going to make it through the surgery. He's got three protruding aneurysms. And um, it is not good. And we began to pray, and none of my family knew Jesus, and we began to pray, and, and um, my brother survived the surgery, and he's doing well today. But out of that, um, my, bro- my two brothers, my two sister-in-laws, my five cousins, six cousins, um, they all gave their life to Jesus. See, when you're obedient to the things that God calls you to, he begins to put you in a place and so there we are in January, we're on this journey of planning a church, and we didn't have any idea where we were going to plan it, we didn't know what was going to happen, and a pastor called me and he said, I heard you're here to plant a church, and I said, I am, and he said, listen, he said, I've got a church, he said about 30 years ago, we were running 100 people, and he goes, but today we've, we're running five, and he goes, 
uh, would you like to pastor my church? And I said, no, 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 no. He said, well, then what if I gave you our property? I said, yes, 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 yes. He said, we have nine acres right on the main road in the heart of the area that you're planting. Million-dollar homes all around, poverty right behind you. It's the, one of the fastest-growing areas in Cincinnati. He said, I have nine acres right on the main road, not hidden, but on the main road that we would like to give you. With a 10,000-square-foot building, it's valued at a million dollars. Would you be interested? Yes, 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 yes. He said it needs renovations, and it does need renovations. There's a, a gold chandelier sitting in the middle of the thing from, like, Christian television, 1942. And um, I think it might have candles in it. I'm not sure. And, um, and bright white paint, and everything is broken. But here's the deal. When you step out in faith and you begin to live the life and don't have to have the plan, you go, God, I'll give my life to you that others may find you and have hope in you. God will begin to reach and do something inside of you that never dreamed possible. And so I got up to tell the five people, all of them were over the age of 100, I don't know. And... Um, I'm just guessing, you know, I, I want to be, and um, so I, in, in, in the pastor said, well, you have to tell the people we're closing the church down, I'm giving you the property. And I said, for, for a million dollar building, I'll tell them anything you want me to tell them, I'm there. So I got up and I said, hey, five people, um, this church is going to close and we're going to be planning a church in August, August 19th, we're going to launch a church. And um, a little old lady came up to me. With tears running down her face, and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, 20-something years ago, we refinanced our home, me and my husband, so that the church could buy this property. And every day for 20-something years, we would pray and go, God, why is nothing happening here? Let's just give up. God, we made a mistake. Why? We've lost everything. Well, just because, and she says, but I knew God had a plan for us. I knew that if we would just be faithful and obedient in what God has called us to do, that our, that our life could make an impact for generations to come. And she said, everything we prayed for, she said, you are the embodiment of what God has put on your heart. And there's a little old lady, and so she said, I'm with you, heart and soul. That's two people that said, I'm with you, heart and soul, because that's what my wife said um, when we moved to Ohio, and I, that long pause. And so two people said, I'm with you, but I didn't have a real good idea of what was going to happen. And so I said, well, uh, we'll meet two more weeks, and then we're done until August 19th. And then, but what was happening is we were getting involved in the community, and we were hanging out with people that were, were, were their lives were hurting and, and broken, and we began to hang out with them and say, hey, um, God loves you, and there's a plan for your life. And what I'm talking about is you've got to risk your life to let love of God go through you. L love and faith equal risk always. When you love someone, it's risk, and when you step out in faith, it is risk. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we began to love anyone we could. We didn't have a great marketing strategy. We just said if we love people the way Jesus does, then maybe someone would show up. And the problem was we didn't want anyone to show up in this building because there was no music. And if you ever heard me sing, um, it would not be the most lovely sight. And um, I hear your pastor can sing. I cannot sing at all. And um, at all. At all. Think of American Idol on the worst audition <laughs> They would be the winner. <laughs> so, and, um, and so we're sitting there and, and people started showing up. And the, so the next Sunday, we, we only had one more Sunday, we were going to close um, the church. And all of a sudden, um, like 20 people showed up. And I said, that's great that you're here, but we won't be here next week. Don't come, you know, one more week and we're done. No more Jesus after that. And um, so the next week, like 50 people showed up. So now I got 55 people, because I had the five people, 
and there's no music, and there's a gold chandelier, and there's white paint, and there's broken pews, and none of them go to church, and none of them know anything about Jesus, but man, they just knew that someone was in the community loving them, because every day what we would do is we would just go out, and I would drive around the city, and I would pray going, God, help me to be life to my city. God, help me to be life to my city. God, help me to be life to my city, and I'd start coaching a Little League team, and I'd start loving on the kids and the parents, and they'd say, what do you do? And, and I would say, well, I pastor a church that doesn't exist, you know, but it will one day. And, um, you know, it's like a superhero story. You know, one day there will be a church. And, um, and so all of a sudden 55 people and I go, hey, this is great that you're here. But I promise, okay, we'll go two more weeks and then no more Jesus after two weeks. Um, because we got to get this building ready. And, and the problem was um, then like 100 people showed up the next week. And going, stop coming to church. Just... Right? I mean, really, and these aren't like, these aren't the, the churchy kind of people. These are like the druggy kind of people. These are like the roughies, you know. And, uh, and then on Easter Sunday, I said, okay, this is the last Jesus experience you get to August, you know. Because really, I promise you, no more Jesus after this. But the problem was, 180 people showed up that week. No invites, no music, no lights, no stage, just people loving people and, and people's lives getting transformed and they're so excited to tell someone about the love of Jesus. See, here's the thing. When we understand we are plan A, people's lives are transformed because we love them the way God loves them. And so all of a sudden, 180 people, 65 people give their life to Jesus and surrender their life to Jesus. And I have one guy come up and his name is Kevin. And he said, Pastor, for 40 years, me and my wife... We've been addicted to drugs. We've had an unhealthy marriage. There's been infidelity. He goes, I've tried to commit suicide two times. He goes, I'm at the end of my rope. And he goes, for the first time in my life, someone told me they loved me, and it was you. And for the first time in my life, I felt like someone really did love me, and his name was Jesus. And he goes, I want to thank you. Come on. I want to thank you for loving me when no one did. See, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. And when Jesus came around that mountain and he saw his city, his heart was broken. And when your heart is broken, it has to move you to action. That we could do something. And so I need you to pray for us because August 19th, we're launching our church. Ready or not, here we come. And God has been doing some good things. And, and I don't always have the plan. I mean, we still have a building that... that that needs renovation. I got a million dollar building, but I have no chairs in it. And I'm like, so I called the chair company. They said, they're expensive. And I went, oh, I don't have any money. You have the, I don't have a money uh, church, uh, chairs. And they said, no, we don't have any of those. And, um, and so, but what's, what's my point? If you're always waiting for the plan, you'll never do anything. Because if God gives you the entire plan, there's no faith to follow. God will always give you the next step to love someone, to serve someone, to be the church of Jesus Christ. And then we, become, we understand that it is not that we, that we just go to church, but we are the church. And some people say, well, I don't need to go to church to, to, to know Jesus, but I'm going to tell you it's awful hard. Because Jesus' plan was the church. Jesus loves the church. He doesn't love the ideal church or the perfect church. He loves the church. As a matter of fact, he calls it his bride. And she'll say, I can't stand church. And that's like saying, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Now don't be thinking things right now, right? See, what I'm saying to you is the church isn't the building. The church isn't the name. The church is you. And Jesus has called us to multiply ourselves, to be out within the community, to risk ourselves, to step out and do great things. It, it, 
The, the Bible calls us to live in a place when we see the depravity and the brokenness of humanity that puts us into action. See, I think it's God is calling us to take responsibility for the irresponsibility of the world. Maybe you want to write that down. God is calling us to take responsibility for the irresponsibility of the world. And you say, well, man, God helps those who help themselves. That's ridiculous because God helped you when you couldn't help yourself. And God loved me when I couldn't love myself. God calls us to love people that can't love themselves and help themselves. That's why we need Jesus. That's why he's our savior. That's why he loves us. And that's why he calls us his church in the midst midst of brokenness to step out and live a life bigger than ourselves. And how do you do it? It's very simple. You live beyond you. You see the needs and you allow it to bring you to a place of action. You lose sight of yourself for just a season and you go, maybe my life could matter to someone else. Because when you take the risk to love and to serve and to be the church that Jesus has called you to be, guess what will happen? People will find hope and love and compassion. People will find Jesus. And I need you to understand there is no plan B for your world. You are it. Before the foundations of the earth, God chose you and he said, I believe in you and I have a plan for you. And you say, what about all the junk in my life? What about all the messed up realities of my life? What about all the brokenness in my life? And I would say, exactly. If God could do it in you, he could do it in someone else. And your, your pain and your hurt and your tragedy is nothing but a scar. And a scar is to show that something wounded you, but it did not kill you. Your scar is your story that will bring hope to someone else. Your life is too valuable to keep it for you. That's why I love your church and I love your pastor. He understands that the greatest hope for humanity is Jesus. And the only way that we can do that is to be the church and to take the church away from from here and begin to live it out, out there. And what I love is about Heartland is... It's not that you're trying to build a massive cathedral right here, but you understand there's needs all over your city and you're planting churches around your city and you're touching lives and and, and you're moving and motivating the gospel into people's lives. You see, until a man finds something worth dying for, he's unfit to live. Jesus found something worth dying for. It was you. And when he saw you, it brought him to tears. When he saw you, he was so broken that he gave his own life. But he didn't stop there. He said, I wonder if you would have the guts to live a life bigger than yourself. And you would begin to love people the way that God loves them. And you would begin to risk the way that God has called you to risk. Because the truth is this, and I'm done. All of us, if we want, could live a safe Christian life. We could build white fences around our perfect little home and live our perfect little lives or appear to. And we could have the life make enough money and do enough things. But in the end, I promise you it'll be empty. Or you could begin to say, my life 
is not my own. My life belongs to Jesus. And what Jesus wants me to do with my life is to give it away to others so that they may find life and hope and purpose and promise. God has a plan for you. And your plan is to live bigger than you. That's why the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. And that he chose you even when you wouldn't choose yourself. And so many times we look at ourselves like when we were kids. And remember that moment when we were picking teams and it was always the one kid that no one wanted because maybe it wasn't quick enough or fast enough or, or good enough. And then the teams would be even and then they would say, well, you've got to have him. And they'd be like, oh. Here's the thing, God chose you. There was no one on the sideline. There was no one last. There wasn't anyone that wasn't good enough or smart enough or gifted enough. He gave it all to you. And so I guess the question is this. If everything you've been living your life for right now came to pass, you, me, if everything you've been striving for and working for and living for and dreaming for, if all of it came to pass, would the world be a better place? God wants to use you to make your world a better place. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us. God, you were never angry at us. You never despised us. On our worst day, you loved us. You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us to pay the ransom so that we could have a life for you. That you took all of our sin and all of our pain and all of our hurt and all of our shortcomings and all of our weaknesses and you nailed them to a cross. And then you said that you loved us and, and you would take our sin and you would throw it into a sea of forgetfulness and you would call us your sons and your daughters. But God, you didn't stop there. Then you chose us to be your light and your life to humanity. Jesus, I pray today that you awaken our spirits to what you've called us to be and who you've called us to be. Jesus, help us to understand that our life matters to this world. Jesus, help us to understand that even in our brokenness, we can bring healing to others. God, give us, give us the awakening to love our city. Lord, give us the boldness to step out to do something about it. And give us the faith to understand. We may not know the plan, but we know the provider. Jesus, use our life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing us. Amen and amen. Thank you guys for letting me be here this morning.